Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Philippe Taturka for a conversation about the previous Egyptian pharaoh, Hatshepsut. Dr. Taturka is a Polish Egyptologist. He is assistant professor at the Institute of Mediterranean and Oriental Cultures of the Polish Academy of Sciences, based in Poland. He has written many publications over his career and focuses on the reign of Hatshepsut and the expeditions of the land of Punt. And Dr. Taturka joins the show today from Poland. Welcome to the show, Philippe. Thank you very much. So to start the conversation, Philippe, and to create enough background and context for, for the conversation, then we'll work our way into the details. Who was Hatshepsut? Hatshepsut was one of uh, the most famous figures in Egyptian history. She was a female king of ancient Egypt who reigned for um, almost um, 20 years. Uh, first in the name of the king Thutmose the Third uh, as a regent and later on as his co-regent and female pharaoh in the 15th century BCE. Okay. And what, uh, how do scholars know about her life? So modern, modern scholars, how, how, how do scholars know about her and the life she lived? Mm. We know about her reign and her achievements uh, through the monuments she ordered to construct uh, uh, in the years when, when she reigned Egypt, especially uh, her most famous monument, the Temple of Deir el-Bahri on the west bank of, of Thebes near the modern city of Luxor on the opposite bank uh, of the Nile, but also she erected many other monuments in, in Karnak, um, in Luxor, and in other places of Egypt. And we also know uh, the details of her reign through the monuments left by her fame, by her most trusted courtiers, like Senenmut, Jehuti, Habuseneb, and others. Um, so this is, this is, these are the sources of our information concerning this uh, extraordinary rain. Was her tomb and or mummy ever discovered? Um, as for the tomb, we have actually two tombs by Hatshepsut. Uh, first one was, um, was created when she was still a queen and uh, a regent for Thutmose the third. And this one was discovered by Howard Carter, the famous discoverer of the tomb of Tutankhamun later. Um, the other one is in the Valley of the Kings. And uh, some scholars uh, suggest that it was actually the first tomb to be um, hewn in the rocks of the Valley of the Kings. Um, and this tomb was later shared by Hatshepsut with her deceased father, the I, uh, because when she became king, she wanted to um, strengthen 
her legitimacy and her right to the throne. And as every king of Egypt had to, um, to um, how to say it, to inter his, um, his predecessor, she had to transfer um, the body of her deceased father from his original tomb, wherever it was actually situated, because the scholars are not very sure where to where was the what was the original location of Rukmus the first tomb, uh, to her tomb in the Valley of the Kings, so that they could lie beside one another in this shared tomb. As for the mummy of Hatshepsut, the question is um, a little bit more tricky because there is a mummy in the in the Cairo Museum, um, which is suggested by some scholars to be the, the, the mummy of Hatshepsut, um, but other scholars are more skeptical about it, so the question is unresolved, actually, if the mummy, uh, supposed by some to be Hatshepsut, is indeed her. Uh, to, be, to, be, to, to, be, um, to be honest, we have no way to, to know, for, for now at least. Okay. What's known about... You mentioned approximately uh, when when she was uh, born. I think you said said that the century, right? I think you'd said the six, 16th century? 15th, I said 15th century BCE. Okay, 15th century BCE. So what's, um, what's known about in, in that century, uh, approximately, when she was born? And, uh, and do scholars know where? The problem is we don't know the exact details. I mean, we don't know the exact date of her birth, as with many other um, persons, unfortunately, um, in, in, the, in ancient Egypt. Uh, and we don't know the exact place. Uh, um, we might suppose that, because we don't, we don't actually know her precise um, age at death and nothing, nothing of the sort. We, are, we can only say that uh, when she started to be the regent of Thutmose uh, the third, uh, she was a reg She she must have been already an adult woman, but we don't know her exact age. Um, and we know that she um, she was re regent for Thutmose the first uh, the third for seven years, and later she reigned as as a co-regent and as a pharaoh. To, so, so, it, so they, so Hatshepsut and Thutmose the third ruled jointly over Egypt up to year to regnal year two twenty or twenty one of Thutmose the third when Hatshepsut most probably died, uh, but we don't really know what at what age. This is a problem with many historical persons for, of, of ancient Egypt. We may say how long they reigned, but uh, usually we cannot say for sure how long they they lived. I understand, and and that that has come up on the show in the in the past. I, I I and you get into many many circles on 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 certain topics when it comes to historical, obviously, on history. Um, is anything known about her mother? Yes, um, her mother was uh, Queen Ahmos, uh, so the great royal wife of Thutmose the the first, the king of Egypt. Um, what we don't know is, uh, I mean, the exact origins of, of, of this queen. Some scholars suppose that she was actually the sister of King Amenhotep I, the second king of the 18th dynasty, to which Hatshepsut and her royal family belonged. 
other scholars, including myself, are more skeptical about it and think that she was of which she was of not not of royal of royal origin, as uh, Fukumoto the, fir the first probably also. I mean, after the reign of Amenhotep the first, the second king of the 18th dynasty, uh, a new king emerged, Fukumoto the first, so Hatshepsut's father, and most likely he was not of royal origin. So other so some scholars believed that. In order to strengthen his right to the throne, he had to mm, marry the sister of the previous king, that would be Queen Ahmos, but we don't really have many proofs that she actually was a daughter of the king. So most likely, the I was some trusted courtier of Amenhotep I or of his mother, Queen Ahmos III. I mean, there is a lot of mystery in the history of, uh, and especially the family relationships in um, the early 18th dynasty, which we are talking about here. So in, in the scholarly community then, is, is there uh, uh, contention over then if, because a so a dynasty, if it's the 18th, if, if, that, if that is a, a dynasty, then there are some considerations that um, uh, her and her father would not have been part of that that dynasty? Am I understanding that correctly? Um, how, how, let's 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 start maybe from the beginning. The whole mm, division of Egyptian rulers to the dynasty uh, is of ancient origin. It comes back to the his, to the historian Manetho, who was an Egyptian priest uh, who lived in the in the reign of the early Ptolemy of the early Ptolemies in the third in the fourth and third century BCE and who was ordered by one of the, of the Ptolemies to write down the history of his nation for the, for the Macedonian king. So one of the, one of the, one of the first Ptolemy, probably Ptolemy I or Ptolemy II. And he divided the history of Egypt for 30 dynasties, into 30 dynasties of kings. We today know that this word dynasty was not, was, does not mean what we think of it today. I mean, it is not the ruling family, but the group of ruling people, um, which, and we know that sometimes the dynasties of Manitho uh, can encompass uh, people from several distant families, several distinct families, or we know that sometimes he divisioned um, one family into two dynasties for some reasons. And, but we still use this uh, terminology of dynasties uh, because it is, uh, let's say, for convenience. It's like a scholarly convention. So when we say uh, 18th dynasty, it actually encompasses people from several um, distinct families. One was uh, the family uh, of the let's say oh, the, the first two the first two rulers of the 18th dynasty actually belong to the same family as the last rulers of the 17th dynasty but with Thutmose the the first started a um, new family apparently um, or at least this is one of the this is one of the possibilities uh, but we still call it call him a ruler of the 18th dynasty for let's say historical convenience okay yeah i'm glad i asked that that uh, question and thank you for expanding on that. So the the divisions initially got created. You're saying in the third or fourth century BCE when it comes to the the thirty 
dynasties. Yeah, in the in the reign of the of the first uh, Ptolemies. So it's it's uh, it's either end of the fourth century BC or beginning of the of the third century BCE. Is anything known about the early period of her life? Um, it depends how you def how early you def how you define early early period of her life. I mean, we don't know anything about her life uh, from before she became the great royal wife, so the queen of uh, Thutmose II, her half-brother, um, who reigned after the, the death of King Thutmose I for an extremely brief period of no more than three years. And uh, we don't really know what happened before this in her, in her life. Okay. And you'll find that I often ask very broad questions, so please feel free to, to take them in which ways uh, make, make sense, Philippe. <laughs> you'll, okay. you'll, you'll get used to it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so uh, what, So what's, okay, so is it, are scholars confident she was the daughter of Thutmose, the, the first, who is the predecessor? Yes, this, this, this is true because we know this from uh, many sources uh, when, uh, uh, both from the reign of Thutmose I and from the reign of uh, Thutmose II, Thutmose III, and Hatshepsut herself. I mean, she is uh, she was definitely the eldest daughter of uh, Thutmose I. Which she is portrayed with him as his, as as her royal father in many places uh, in the Al Bahari and in her and, and they sh as I already mentioned they shared a tomb in. Uh, in the Valley of the Kings, so definitely Thutmose the first was his, was her father. Queen Ahmed was her mother. We also know that she had a little sister uh, whose name was Neferobiti, um, and uh, she had two brothers, uh, most likely full brothers, uh, Amenmose and Wadmose, and at least one half half brother who later became King Thutmose the, sec the second, and also he became her husband. Okay, so it's it's believed that uh, her 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 husband and 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 brother is Thutmose the second, and and the father is Thutmose the first. Um, I mean, it's not it's not believed. It's it's certain actually. I mean, um, we know that Thutmose the second was was the son of Thutmose the um, the first, and we know that Hatshepsut was uh, the daughter of Thutmose the first, and we know that after the death of Thutmose uh, the first, they got married, and so Hatshepsut became the the, the wife of her half brother Thutmose um, um, the second, and we know that he was a half brother because we know actually the name of his mother, which was not Queen Ahmose, but a let's say minor wife uh, whose name was Mutneferet. Can you speak about um, her her reign? Can you speak about her 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 with her relationship um, with Thutmose the second, and how and then how she eventually became pharaoh of Egypt? Mm. We know that in the reign of Thutmose the second, Hatshepsut was uh, the great royal wife, so the principal queen. We know also that uh, she was uh, so uh, she held the title of uh, the wife of uh, the wife of god mm, 
the title referring to an important function, female function in the cult of Amun-Ra, the principal god of Egypt at that time. Uh, and uh, um, we know that after this three years of the reign of Thutmose II, she became the, the queen regent, reigning, or, or more precisely, executing power in the name of the new king, Thutmose III, who was the son of Thutmose II, but not the son of Hatshepsut, because we once again know the name of, the, of mother Thutmose III, who was Queen Isis, uh, um, so probably a concubine or lesser wife of, of Thutmose II. Um, we know that Hatshepsut and uh, Thutmose II actually had a daughter, not a son, the daughter who was called Neferura and who was one of the important figures in the reign of Hatshepsut. And uh, we know that Hatshepsut became a queen regent because apparently Thutmose III was too young to rule um, independently. He was probably a, an, an infant still uh, while his father passed away. So um, for the first seven years of Thutmose um, III, Hatshepsut was queen regent and still uh, the god's wife of Amun. But later on, in the regnal year 7 of Thutmose III, for unknown reasons, Hatshepsut decided to, um, to proclaim that from now on she is not only a queen regent, but a pharaoh in full right, who will be reigning jointly with Thutmose III. This is an important point. I mean, she had multiple occasions to eliminate Thutmose III, and yet she did not. I mean, uh, on all, or almost all officials, official representations, including the Deir al-Bahari temple, so the most spectacular of all Hatshepsut's, of all of Hatshepsut's monuments, uh, the, two, the two rulers are represented jointly Although Hatshepsut's preeminence is um, emphasized in many subtle ways, for example, when they are both represented, she is she always precedes him. She's clad in more prestigious um, clothes. She wears more prestigious crowns, and so on and so on. She's represented with more prestigious divinities, uh, but nevertheless, they are all, always represented uh, in company. So there is no way uh, in which, I mean, she, she does not want to eliminate or to diminish Thutmose III, and uh, they will be ruling together, as I said, up uh, to the, until the um, regnal year 20 or 21, when she apparently died. And uh, so Thutmose and so III was now ruling Egypt alone. Okay. This, is important, this is an important point. To, we have to remember that the reign of Hatshepsut is included within the reign of Thutmose III. I mean, she's not an independent monarch who is uh, who as, who um, who takes over the power after the death immediately after the death of her predecessor, but sometime. Uh, later, she proclaims to be a pharaoh, and her reign is wholly included within the reign of Thutmose III. Is anything else known about um, her her approach 
to during her reign. Uh, is anything known about policies? Um, was there any uh, major geopolitical uh, items that you feel should be mentioned that's known uh, during during her, her reign? Any, anything like that that you want to go over? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, one of the most important, um, let's say, great lines of Hatshepsut's politics is to re-establish the, the, the harmony and the glorious past of Egypt. I mean, the, the early 18th dynasty is a, is a particular period in Egyptian history after the so-called cri crisis of the second intermediate period, when Egypt was divided into the northern part ruled by the Hyksos, so a dynasty um, of foreign origin, uh, and, when, and in the south, uh, there was and the south of Egypt was ruled by the by the Egyptian rulers uh, of Thebes, and after that Egypt was reunified by King Ahmed II, uh, the founder as we as we as we call him today, the founder of the 18th dynasty. So the the first rulers of the 18th dynasty tried to reestablish the harmony, which was to some kind to some extent broken. Um, by by the crisis of the second intermediate period and Hatshepsut followed these lines she wanted to re-establish the glory of the distant past of the of the old and middle kingdom um the periods of the most glorious periods of ancient egyptian history prior to the reign of Hatshepsut and one of her most spectacular achievements for which she is known even today was uh, organization of a, of a seafaring expedition to the mysterious land of Punt. We don't actually know uh, precisely where the land was located, but most scholars agree today that it was located in Africa. Um, it was a country from which the Egyptians imported various exotic goods, most uh, importantly the one they called Antiu, which uh, is um, conveniently identified or conventionally identified with Mer, and also, they imported many other aromatic um, products, living animals, um, plants, and various precious products, which were necessary in the cult of the gods and of the deceased pharaoh. So by organizing this expedition, Hatshepsut um, was actually re-establishing the old tradition of the old and middle kingdom, where Expedition, when expeditions to the land of Punt were uh, organized at a on a regular basis. And on the other hand, uh, she, um, let's say, accomplished or finished uh, the work of, um, of re-establishing Egypt's past glory started by her immediate predecessors. And on the other hand, she presented herself as the faithful daughter of Amun-Ra, um, the, the king of the gods, because she was able to provide him with all the products necessary in her cult, in, in, in his cult. Do you have any theories, because I, I know the land of Punt, and it came up in the introduction as well, something that um, you spend a lot of time scholarly on. Do you have any theories about more specifically where, 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 where it was? I, I mean, I, 
I actually um, defended my PhD thesis on the um, expeditions to the land of Punt, but uh, what I studied was more the ideological background of these expeditions, so why they were uh, organized and what was the importance of this, uh, of the products imported and the role of, of these expeditions in the ideology of kingship. But generally, my idea was, uh, my idea is that it must have been situated uh, somewhere on Africa, somewhere in Africa, close to the to the coast to the coast of the Red Sea, because this is uh, suggested by the reliefs uh, in the in the in the Temple of Hatshepsut in the so-called Punt Portico, where we have a magnificent series of reliefs representing um, these ex this expedition organized by Hatshepsut, and. Uh, also, the, the sources from other periods indicate that it must have been situated somewhere in Africa, but uh, for, for now on, we are not really able to say precisely that it, what exactly it might have been. It's probably something you've, uh, you've thought about a lot and wondered. Sorry, can you repeat? I, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It's more of a capacity comment, but I said it's probably something you've you've thought about a lot and wondered where where the land of Punt was. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is one of the puzzles of, uh, of an, which many scholars are pondering about. I mean, up to up to today, there are like one hundred and literally speaking, over one hundred various suggestions where the land of Pompeii have been located and unfortunately um, I, I believe it is not um, it is not possible to choose between one and the other I mean within the African locations because I'm, I'm not um, the follower of, of, of the thesis that it might have been located in the, on the Arabian Peninsula but still um, the problem is that we don't actually know if there ever was a single land of Punt. I mean, when, uh, if the context between the land of Punt and uh, Egypt are attested as far back as the 4th or 5th dynasty in the 3rd millennium BCE, we have no guarantee that the, that the Old Kingdom expedition from the 4th or 5th dynasty arrived at exactly the same place where Hatshepsut's expeditions of the 18th dynasty landed uh, 1500 years later, right? So, uh, actually, um, and the land of the problem is that the land of Punt was not a, a state such as Egypt, but was more or less, let's say, um, a fuzzy country with no strictly defined uh, boundaries and, uh, and not. Uh, as highly organized as uh, as ancient Egypt, for example, so um, which which makes even more difficult the precise identification and location of the of the land of Punt. Okay, after her husband died, Thutmose II, did she remarry? Mm, no, mm, she did not remarry. Um, but uh, some some scholars believe that she actually had an affair with one of her most trusted courtiers, whose name was Senenwood. Um, and but unfortunately, we are unable to say to, to say for sure if, it, if it's true. I mean, Senenwood was most most uh, 
I mean, he was undoubtedly uh, one of the most trusted courtiers and one of the most favorite ones. Uh, he had, uh, there are multiple proofs uh, for royal favor of Hatshepsut towards Semenwood. Um, for example, she ordered, she allowed him to place his images uh, in many monuments erected by herself, which was a great royal favor because uh, that way he could um, join her in the afterlife. So it was no small, no small thing. Uh, but we don't know if it was actually an affair or he was simply so powerful and so trusted and so supportive for Hatshepsut that she granted him this favor. You produced a segue for the next question, Philippe. Uh, what, what's known or inferred about her religious orientation? Religious orientation. I mean, um, she was, um, how to say it, um, we don't know anything, let's say, about her personal uh, beliefs. Because actually, we know almost nothing about personal beliefs of the pharaohs, except perhaps of Akhenaten, who was the great religious reformer uh, uh, later in the 18th dynasty. But even in this case, it is, let's say, more problematic. But we know that, uh, that Hatshepsut um, followed in the footsteps of her predecessors, um, respecting tradition, traditional religion of ancient Egypt, and promoting the cult of Amun-Ra, um, making many monuments for him, but also for other gods in various parts of, uh, of Egypt. Um, but this is a problem um, that we face as, as historians of, uh, of ancient Egypt, that uh, we know what the king did, but we don't know what king, what king thought while doing it. Okay, before we work in the chronology to the later period of her, her life, is there anything um, else that you want to mention that you feel is very, very pertinent um, about her life or about, about her, her reign that you want to get, uh, get in the episode? Mm. Mm. One of the most um, spectacular achievements of her reign are the, let's say, building activity. Uh, which found its expressed in, uh, mentioned many times up till now, Temple of Deir al-Bahari, but also in Karnak, uh, because it was actually she who remodeled the whole Karnak temple, uh, which previously was uh, constructed in, uh, in limestone, and now she almost completely, um, let's say, reorganized the central part of the temple, constructing it in sandstone uh, for, for the glory of Amun-Ra. Uh, but one of the, let's say, underappreciated aspects of Hatshepsut's reign is the foreign policy. I mean, she is often represented as, uh, as a person who detested any kind of physical violence. So 
it is believed that she did not organize uh, military campaigns, uh, but rather concentrated on peaceful activity as uh, the commercial expedition to the land of Punt that I have already mentioned. This view is actually not true. I mean, we have multiple evidence uh, that Hatshepsut did organize military campaigns to both Nubia and Asia. And uh, one of the inscriptions uh, even mentions that Hatshepsut was herself present at the battlefield in Nubia, leading troops to victory over, over rebelled Nubians. So this is one of the, of the points that uh, should be stressed, I believe, uh, because it, it is, um, let's say, important to, to give justice to Hatshepsut, but uh, she um, was, uh, let's say, a, a full pharaoh in all in all pharaonic duties and not simply some woman who wanted power and neglected her um, royal duties uh, once she actually got the power. So you mentioned uh, the end of her life earlier in one of your responses, um, but so that um, we're, we're covering the conversation with, um, with, with chronology here at the end. Um, can you go over uh, what scholars know about the end of her life? Um, actually, we, we, we know almost nothing about the, the, the end. I mean, uh, the last dated inscription mentioning Hatshepsut comes from Rignalia 20 of, uh, of Footmos III, and inscriptions in Rignalia 21 uh, do not actually mention Hatshepsut. So, sometime at the, be, between uh, these dates, uh, of the last dated inscription of uh, Regnal Year 20 and the first dated inscription of Year 21, Hatshepsut must have died. Um, there is no reason to believe that, uh, that it was anything else than a natural death. I mean, Hatshepsut by, by this time must have been uh, already, um, let's say, an old, an old woman. I mean, for the ancient standards. Like, so it does not mean that she was like 90 or something, but, uh, but, she, but for, the ancient, for, for the ancient standards, she, she might have been, let's say, of respectable age. And uh, probably she, ju she, she, she just dies of, of natural causes. There's uh, various topics in uh, Egyptian history that, that you could study. You mentioned that you did your PhD uh, on the land of Punt, you also study the reign of Hatshepsut. What has what uh, gripped and fascinated you about these two topics for, for several years now? Um, the reign of Hatshepsut is, um, when, and at least when I started to, to, to study it, uh, was and in some part and in some part of school of scholarship is still is um, a little bit underappreciated. I mean, um, it was believed that uh, she was a malicious woman who had no claim for the royal throne, and uh, she she was so concentrated on power that she had that she wanted to change the pharaonic tradition, and uh, that. Uh, she wanted to um, take all the power to herself, right? Uh, and uh, when I started to study it, I realized more and more that it's actually not true. I mean, it seems um, rather that uh, that whatever her personal um, 
feelings might have been, because as I said, we have no way of knowing what she actually felt. Um, it seems that uh, what what she did was done not out of personal ambition, uh, or at least not not um, not mostly for personal ambition, but uh, for for the benefit of the state. I mean, you had a when when she started to to call herself a pharaoh, Egypt had a baby on the throne who might have been of, of weak health at, at that point, and who might have died for, um, for some disease or something like this. And uh, apparently she felt that Egypt need, needs a support in a, in a second king. So, because the, because the baby is not um, able to fulfill all the pharaonic responsibilities. And uh, this is something, let's say, which, uh, of course, if this interpretation is right, there is, there, there, there is something we can still admire. I mean, it must have been an act of courage, being a woman uh, surrounded by men, and yet being able to rule the pharaonic state um, and to do it for 20 years, if we, if we sum the Regency and Co-Regency period, it was, and, and to accomplish such magnificent uh, achievements, including the monuments of Deir el-Bahari, Karnak, and other places, including the organization of the land of Punt, after uh, a couple of centuries of interruption in the mutual contact. We have to we have to realize that the Pune expedition was a huge enterprise in in the ancient realities. It was a maritime expedition to the to the other side of the world, in, of at least of the of the world as known by the ancient Egyptians, um, uh, with no guarantee of success, of success uh, basing on maps and information in the archives from twelve dynasty. So, uh, when when the when when the last uh, expedition to the land of Qum was actually organized by by Egyptian king, so in the early eighteenth dynasty, couple of at least three hundred uh, or four hundred years later, is quite an achievement, and this is one of the things that uh, is, can still be attractive in in the reigns of Hatshepsut and uh, and the land of Punt um, in general. Let's, I mean, in general, in, uh, uh, in particular. Yeah, and it sounds like she lived a very remarkable life. And, Philippe, your commitment for uncovering the truth really comes through in your communications. Thank you for coming on the show today and uh, sharing your knowledge on these topics. Uh, thank you for, for your invitation. It was, it, it was quite a pleasure to... To share my to share what I know about Hatshepsut and to, to uncover to you this uh, yeah. fascinating person from distant past. You're welcome, Philippe. So everybody, I'll drop some links to some of uh, Dr. Taturka's work in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Philippe and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. 
Hey again. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.